0: This podcast is a presentation of UCTV.tv, University of California Television. Like what you learn, help others discover UCTV podcasts by leaving a comment or rating in iTunes. And researcher Rundy's with um, UC Davis and director of the Fragile X Research and Treatment Center of the Mind Institute. She knocks our audience off their feet every time she speaks, oh. and uh, we are so happy to have you back. Oh, I'm not going to list all your accomplishments and oh, things, but good. <laughs> we're going to talk about Fragile X, I take it, and a few yeah, other things. Yeah, new treatments. New treatments. Yeah. And then stay afterwards, because we're going to get the afternoon speakers together to talk about what's next. Oh. Okay. Okay. Wow, that's okay, exciting. That's your okay, my pointer and... My advancer. Okay, so you guys all know about the MIND Institute, um, and we love it. Um, so my disclosures are I'm carrying out a number of treatment trials. We just got funded to do the zenerba trial about CBD, so I'll talk a little bit about that. Uh, our metformin study, which is a new targeted treatment for fragile X and perhaps other forms of autism, is funded by the Azraeli Foundation. Uh, AFQ-056 is an mglur 5 antagonist, and we're funded by NIH, but AFQ-056 is um, made by Novartis, and we have a Fragile X Learn study with that, combined with um, uh, using parent-implemented language intervention, or PILI, developed by Len Abadudo at The Mind. I'm also funded by Ovid to do a gaboxadol study. This is a new... GABA agonist um, uh, for individuals with Fragile X, Um, and I've consulted with Zenerba to help them develop their protocol for the Fragile X treatment trials. So enough for disclosure. My overview is to really talk about the latest treatments for both uh, Fragile X syndrome and for autism. And a future look at treatments for both disorders. Learning objectives: understand the relationship between fragile X and autism spectrum disorders. Name a couple medications for uh, new treatments for fragile X. The same with autism, and to understand the difference in fragile X between the premutation and fragile X syndrome. Uh, I have uh, I follow a lot of individuals that have premutation disorders like FXTAS, tremor ataxia or fragile X associated tremor ataxia and I have so many neurologists that see an older guy with a tremor ataxia syndrome associated with the premutation and the neurologist say you don't look like you have Fragile X syndrome. What's, you know, you're a smart lawyer and blah, blah, blah. And so a lot of people don't understand the difference between premutation disorders and full mutation disorders in Fragile X. And it's really um, Fragile X syndrome, those with a full mutation or more than 200 repeats, uh, that I'll talk about related to these targeted treatments today. Um, So, you know, this is a new age of targeted treatments. It's been going on for the last decade, and we're very excited about that. Actually, things are moving into... Uh, stem cell studies, uh, you know being able to correct a genetic defect uh, in stem cells and then insert it into uh, patients it 's a very exciting um, uh, new age you know stem cell therapy and so and and gene. Uh, manipulation therapy, so we're going to have a conference next year, probably a year and a half from now, at the MIND Institute about stem cell therapy for neurodevelopmental disorders. You hear a lot about stem cell therapy for neurodegenerative disorders, but not so much about neurodevelopmental, and there's so many bogus places out there that are injecting stem cells for autism, and it's just bull. And, you know, you need to be able to sort out what's real, what's happening in the research. For many genetic disorders, it's pretty exciting in the animal models. And I think in a few years, it'll move uh, more into humans. So, But before that takes place, we are really focused on targeted treatments that could reverse some of the neurobiological abnormalities uh, related to different genetic disorders. And there's a lot of them going on in Fragile X syndrome, you know, and I'll touch on uh, each one of these, but also it's not just Fragile X syndrome, Angelman syndrome. Uh, gaboxidol has some nice data for Angelman syndrome, and. Minocycline uh, was uh, somewhat helpful, but for Prader-Willi, you get diagnosed in the first year, you get put on growth hormone. I mean, this makes a real difference for that disorder. And tuberous sclerosis, of course, uh, various mTOR inhibitors, uh, including rapamycin, and even Rett syndrome, there's this paper coming out, um, I read an editorial, wrote an editorial for Neurology because the uh, trofenidide treatments for Rett syndrome, this is the IGF-1 analog. Um, there's a real nice study that's going to come out in Neurology, I think, next month about uh, trofenotide treatment um, in Rett syndrome. And Anavex is a new treatment um, that looks really good in the Rett syndrome animal model. So... These are uh, new targeted treatments for many more disorders um, that you'll hear much more about, Um, and some of these treatments are available, um, like, for instance, the metformin that I'll talk about. But it's also important to think about the similarities across disorders, um, like autism and Fragile X both have real significant GABA, glutamate imbalances, and many of uh, disorders with the GABA deficits will do well, I think, with um, uh, uh, medications that really enhance GABA pathways, these inhibitory pathways, and I think that can help with behavior. I think just about every disorder that we look at has mitochondrial dysfunction associated with it. Um, you know, you're not having a mitochondrial mutation in the mitochondrial DNA, but the mitochondria don't work as well. It's very dysfunctional. And so people are doing uh, more mitochondrial studies and thinking about uh, medications that can improve mitochondrial abnormalities that uh, impact the development of the child. Of course, all the aging syndromes, whether you talk about Alzheimer's or Parkinson's disease or Uh, whatever, all the neurodegenerative disorders, they all have mitochondrial abnormalities. And actually, everybody gets more mitochondrial dysfunction with aging. If you're older, you really feel weak in your extremities sometimes. And these are all related to uh, mitochondrial changes that occur with aging. So oxidative stress, reactive oxygen species, and things that are dramatic antioxidants that can turn on the internal antioxidant system uh, in cells, um, I think can really make a difference. And um, we'll maybe talk about that at the end. Um, environmental toxicity impacts many neurodegenerative or neurodevelopmental disorder and also many neurodegenerative disorders. Uh, we study that in tasks, and are very worried about general anesthesia and the isofluranes that cause more uh, Uh, neuronal cell death, but um, we don't worry about it as much in neurodevelopmental syndromes, although I think it does have a big impact in autism and many other disorders. I'll talk a little bit about the Fragile X protein and how this can uh, be a problem for many other disorders besides Fragile X syndrome. And, um, you know, when you think about autism and people have talked about the heterogeneity and, um, Uh, you know all of the comorbidities and this has been such a great conference and I'm sure you've heard a lot over the last couple days and many of the things that we use uh, to treat autism is maybe focused on the the mood instability or the ADHD or the anxiety and we don't really have something that gets at the core deficits of autism with social and communication and these repetitive behavior problems Um, and of course these are just a a short list of all the different um, uh, disorders associated with autism. And Fragile X is either the most common or the second most common cause of um, uh, 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 genetic disorders associated with autism. So whenever you see an autism patient, this is just to remind you about the workup. I'm sure you heard from Cindy Curry not only about fragile X-DNA testing, um, but CGH array, um, and uh, battery, uh, you can look out for ASD genes, and then so much more whole exome sequencing and whole genome sequencing. And, you know, the genetics people at UC Davis are just cranking on the whole genome sequencing and finding so many interesting mutations. We had an interesting adult not too long ago that, Turned out to have a mutation in a a gene that causes iron deposition in the brain, and you could see it on his MRI, and um, it was a BPAP mutation. And um, this is the only cause of autism uh, that I think benefits from chelation. And, in fact, we put him on uh, dyspherapone, Uh, and he has gotten better as the iron has gotten out of his brain. But this is a specific mutation that uh, causes iron deposition, and in adulthood, in his 20s, he started developing more Parkinsonian features and really deteriorating, and so he got better. But that was found through uh, whole genome sequencing. Um, so, I just want to talk about how um, fMRP deficits can occur across many disorders, not only in those that have the full mutation of Fragile X or even the upper end of the premutation, and the premutation is 55 to 200 repeats, but actually, um, studies of brains, uh, particularly by Fatimi et al., have shown uh, deficits of FMRP in the brains of individuals with autism, severe depression, and bipolar disorder, and most dramatically in schizophrenia. And, in fact, um, the age of onset in schizophrenia and IQ in a population in Eastern Europe in uh, those papers there correlate with the level of FMRP. So the lower the level of FMRP, and these are individuals without a fragile X mutation, Uh, The lower the level of FMRP, the earlier the onset of schizophrenia, um, and um, the lower the IQ. Um, Even tuberous sclerosis neurons... have been shown to have deficits of FMRP within the neuron hypoxia at birth lowers fMRP um, and even early um, early life seizures can significantly lower fMRP um, so uh, seizures actually pull FMRP away from the synapse, and FMRP is a protein that um, regulates translation of messages right at the synapse, and that relates to environmental stimuli. So it kind of turns on and regulates messages right at the synapse that are really important for synaptic plasticity. And when you have repetitive seizures, FMRP goes away from the synapse and towards the cell body. And and maybe that's part of the reason why there can be cognitive deficits uh, for individuals with recurrent seizures. Um, But this just shows some of the um, uh, brain studies in individuals with bipolar disorder there, depression and schizophrenia compared to uh, control brains, and none of these have a mutation um, in the FMR1 gene or the Fragile X gene. And early life seizures uh, pull these dots here, are FMRP, uh, among the... um, Uh, dendritic spines, and with early life seizures, FMRP, which is this green fluorescent, it goes away from the synapse and to the cell body. So when you dysregulate FMRP from the synapse, you're going to have some cognitive deficits. Um, So FMRP not only uh, controls translation, but it also is a messenger RNA carrier, it's one of these proteins that does just about everything. Um, it is even controls epigenetic regulation, and I'll show you that in a moment. At least one of the proteins, uh, BRD4, important for epigenetic um, changes in the DNA. Um, it um, uh, can. Uh, enhance the release of neurotransmitters presynaptically much more rapidly so that the synapse gets flooded uh, with the neurotransmitters so that individuals um, uh, have, uh, when there's an absence of FMRP, the synapse gets flooded and they can't detect subtle changes in the environment um, that are important for learning. It downregulates when FMRP is absent, absent, the GABA receptors are down-regulated, and then it up-regulates uh, mGluR5 pathways. So it has a lot of effects, uh, and I think we're just beginning to see some of the effects. So it's a big mother-controller protein that when you mess with FMRP, you get a lot of effects in many different pathways. Um, And we're learning more about it. Uh, It actually upregulates the insulin receptor, um, and I'll get more into that. But this is the effects on the BRD4 protein, which is really important for epigenetic regulation, Uh, And so FMRP usually inhibits translation, but sometimes it stimulates translation. And so when it's absent, there's an upregulation of proteins, including BRD4, which produces a lot more changes in transcription because of the epigenetic regulation. And then that, in turn, influences what happens at the synapse. So, um, this interaction, uh, epigenetic mechanisms with Genetic uh, and environmental uh, influences is a very complex uh, interaction um, that can cause some commonalities across disorders. Um, and there's a lot of evidence for epigenetic dysregulation in individuals with autism, even in um, some of the twin studies, monozygotic twins, um, some of the methylation studies that we've done at UC Davis in, in Florida these laboratories shows dramatic methylation changes in individuals with idiopathic autism. And whether that's related to environmental toxins or other factors in the environment, we don't know. Um, I just want to show you just a partial list of some of the genes that are controlled by uh, FMRP. And this circle are genes associated uh, with... um, Uh, Autism spectrum disorders, these are all regulated by FMRP, and these are the genes associated with schizophrenia or mood disorders. So in about 10% of individuals with Fragile X, they can be on the psychotic spectrum. Uh, we've even seen psychosis in some individuals with the premutation, particularly those that smoke a lot of marijuana, which can push you towards uh, the psychotic spectrum. Um, and uh, so we're very interested in the interaction in those with a fragile X mutation with psychosis, but you can also see psychosis, you know, I've seen. Uh, many aging uh, ASD patients that have developed psychotic thinking over time, too, um, that's not associated with smoking a lot of marijuana. But um, there may be other environmental toxins that uh, can enhance that. Um, So, um, again, as I mentioned, many of... um, Uh, the proteins or the messages that FMRP uh, regulates. uh, It binds to actually uh, almost uh, over 3,000 mRNA targets. Uh, Many of these genes, again, are associated with Fragile X or other disorders, Um, uh, Angelman, Prader-Willi, Rett syndrome, um, actually, MECP2 controls fMRP uh, expression, um, but fMRP controls the cannabinoid system also, so there's dysregulation in the cannabinoid system. Um, I just want to show you this complex slide. Just to point out about the mTOR pathway, uh, here's tuber sclerosis and this mec pathway, and those with P10 mutations uh, can have big heads. Uh, this is neurofibros- uh, neurofibromatosis, and um, these are all related to this mTOR pathway. And this is going to be important when I also talk about uh, metformin in a minute. So again, just to point out how common the fragile X mutations are, um, basically about one in 200 females in in this area, I just came back from Columbia, in South America, and there are huge pockets of fragile X in different villages there. Uh, in one village, uh, one in 50 individuals has a full mutation, and more have the premutation, and we found some other villages where there's just pockets of fragile X, I think related to a founder effect. So, and many premutation disorders, uh, there. And so the premutation disorders, uh, it's the most common cause of early ovarian failure, most common genetic cause of early ovarian failure. tas is the fragile X-associated tremor ataxia syndrome, and it usually begins in the 50s or 60s. Uh, and effect, affecting about 45 to 50% of the males and about 16% of the females. We've also um, identified the Fragile X-Associated Neuropsychiatric Disorders, or faxand because depression, anxiety, ADHD, obsessive-compulsive disorder, Chronic fatigue, chronic pain, and fibromyalgia are definitely associated with the premutation. So, the premutation is common in the general population, whereas the full mutation of Fragile X is not, and the difference between the two is the level of messenger RNA. So, premutation carriers which are quite common in the general population, have dramatic elevation uh, in the messenger RNA, as you can see there. In the full mutation, the whole gene gets methylated, so it shuts off message unless you're a girl and you have a, a nor- another normal X chromosome. Um, but it's the lack of uh, the message in the protein that causes fragile X syndrome. And and again, we have a subgroup of Fragile X that has a Prader-Willi-like phenotype with obesity and hyperphagia. And these are the individuals that I started treating first with metformin because it is a treatment for obesity uh, and hyperphagia, and it helps them lose weight. Um, But then we found some uh, significant improvements in language and conversational speech, and that's why we're carrying out a control trial now. But hand flapping, hand biting, poor eye contact, even those that don't have a diagnosis of autism, and about 60% also meet criteria for autism, some of them that don't have autism and are very social can still have poor eye contact and hand flapping, and so some autistic features. So the GABA deficit uh, causes a a lack of habituation. So here we look at sweat response to repetitive stimuli and uh, usually whether it's a loud noise or a visual stimulus, you habituate in your sweat response to repetitive stimuli, but fragilex don 't because they don 't have a good gaba system they don 't have a good inhibitory system, and so they get activated with repetitive stimuli so if you yell at them or you know try to spank them or whatever, you often will get into trouble with significant aggression, um, so you really have to go into a calming mode. Um, as this guy is telling me non-verbally that I'm taking too many pictures of him. And so this is one of the reasons why, you know, there's uh, significant aggressive outbursts. They just get overwhelmed in overstimulating situations. And, of course, they have macroorchidism, which begins at about eight or nine years of age, and these top lines represent about 180 patients we published many years ago, and these are the normals in terms of testicular volume here, but they usually have double-jointed thumbs, hyperextensibility, and uh, this boy has a very subtle strabismus, but it led to amblyopia, and biting on your shirt and uh, biting of the things are quite common. So just getting into some of the targeted treatments, uh, as we talked about, when uh, fMRP is usually the inhibitor of this mGluR5 pathway, and when it's not there, there's upregulation of many proteins, including the proteins that internalize the AMPA receptors, and that's why you get um, long and immature and weak Dendritic spines. So people thought, oh gosh, you just use an mGluR5 antagonist and you could cure this disorder, and that's what started the targeted treatment field. And we tried many mGluR5 antagonists, uh, downregulating this mErk pathway, and in turn maybe the mTOR pathway, but none of them really worked, particularly in adolescents and adults. We tried many other things. I'll touch on minocycline, ganaxalone, Allopregnanolone is a neurosteroid, uh, arbaclofen, a GABA agonist, even lithium will downregulate this pathway, um, but it doesn't cure uh, fragile X. So now it's thought that the earlier you start a targeted treatment, you will build a better brain on which you can apply learning. Okay, and so if you give an mglur r 5 antagonist, you know, in adulthood, um, uh, which we have in many cases, uh, sometimes they do better, but the overall study didn't show improvement. Um, so now NIH, through Neuronext, funded an AFQ-056. It's an mglur r 5 antagonist made by Novartis in a controlled trial But on top of that, at the end of the study, they can go on open label. But on top of this controlled trial of AFQ-056, uh, we added parent-implemented language intervention, also called PILI, which is done through Skype by a speech and language pathologist right into the patient's home. And basically what it's doing is it's teaching parents how to stimulate language at home how to talk about the things that the kid's interested in, how to promote language, how to scaffold language. I mean, many of you know about Hannon techniques and other techniques. Well, it combines all of this. Um, And um, it's very effective alone for improving language in kids with Fragile X between the ages of three and six. And we've been able to demonstrate that. Um, And now we're analyzing the data Um, Well, actually, we're not finished with the study yet. We are um, not analyzing the data yet. We have uh, until May to do the enrollment. It's at 14 different sites in the US, um, and hopefully will show some good results. Um, We've had some kids, I don't know, it's a double-blind controlled trial, so I don't know what they're on but many have improved, um, and so we're excited to look at the data and to analyze the data soon. It's led by Liz Barry kravitz who's a really great neurologist at Rush University in Chicago, um, and then we're all helping her with this study, and MIND is one of the sites. So we did a minocycline study a few years ago now, and minocycline can downregulate... Uh, matrix metalloproteinase 9 or MMP9, which is upregulated without the Fragile X protein around, and that interferes with synaptic plasticity. So if you bring it down to normal, it actually improves cognition and behavior in the Fragile X mice. Um, And we did a controlled trial a few years ago. Um, And we did show efficacy uh, in blue on the CGII here. You can see that it was somewhat better. Of course, there was a big placebo effect, but we did get a a significant effect. It wasn't dramatic, but we had a number of kids that did very well on minocycline. And most importantly, we developed an event-related potential. So this is an EEG hat that's put on that can look at, um, habituation, uh, here, uh, looking at, uh, habituation with placebo, uh, and, um, with the minocycline, and we brought back and improved habituation, also looking at some of the amplitudes, which changed for the better, uh, but habituation, uh, improved dramatically, uh, with, um, Minocycline. So, we've been using that habituation paradigm in many of our outcome measures, um, along with some new expressive language sampling that Len Abadudo, who's the director at the Mind Institute, uh, has developed. Now, in those with autism, uh, there is in the brain a deficit of serotonin production, particularly in kids. Uh, five or six years of age and younger uh, and compared to non-autistic children. This is a very old study by Chigani. but then there was some metabolomic studies uh, that demonstrated uh, a paper by Boccaccio et al. found abnormal expression in the tryptophan uh, metabolism pathway in individuals with autism. So here's tryptophan. And it gets metabolized up to serotonin in the brain, but all of these enzymes marked in blue are all dramatically downregulated compared in individuals with autism compared to controls. Um, so that was another factor that suggested that the uh, synthesis of serotonin in the brain is deficient in individuals with autism. Now, around that time, I also showed that um, in a retrospective study that those young children with Fragile X syndrome, when they were treated with... sertraline or Zoloft, uh, that their trajectory of language development was much better when I didn't treat them with sertraline. Now, the reason I was treating them is because anxiety kind of begins by the second year of life, and the anxiety can be very severe in individuals with Fragile X syndrome, and it seems to worsen uh, social uh, interactions. um, And here, when you, I treated them with sertraline, I saw an improvement in language. I didn't expect that. I was just treating the anxiety. And maybe if they were less anxious, that's why they talked more. But that's one of the reasons why we did a controlled trial. Um, and this has been published now um, uh, in Journal of Developmental and Behavioral Pediatrics, but it was a randomized controlled study. Uh, and what we saw uh, was that on the Mullen Uh, Here's the reference here um, in Journal of Developmental and Behavioral Pediatrics. These are months improved on those on sertraline versus placebo, and we saw significance in many of the subtests on the Mullen. Not all I expected to see the best effect in language, um, but about 60% of those in the study had autism, and a post-hoc analysis Uh, in looking at just those who had autism, that they were the ones that had a significant improvement in expressive language uh, raw scores on uh, this study. So I thought, wow, well, maybe we should be using sertraline in those individuals um, that have autism without Fragile X syndrome. And we got funded uh, to do a low-dose sertraline study, 2 milligrams to 5 milligrams, in kids 2 to 6 years of age with autism. The vast majority were idiopathic. We had a couple that uh, had a known point mutation, um, but without Fragile X syndrome. And we used very similar outcome measures, uh, including the Mullins. Um, And it was a randomized controlled trial. Here's the consort diagram. Uh, and what we found is that looking at the CGI, CGII, uh, this is sertraline in red, we had many that actually really did well on sertraline, um, and some looked like they even uh, pulled out of their autism, but the overall uh, significance uh, was uh, not there. So there's clearly just a subtype of those um, with idiopathic autism that seems to improve uh, with sertraline, um, and we didn't see improvement in any of the Mullen measures. This is kind of broken up, but a lot of this was in the negative, that uh, and those that were in the podi- positive were not dramatic. So most of it, there were, weren't any significant findings on any of the Mullen subtests. Um, that hasn't been published yet, um, but um, it is under uh, revision now uh, also to Journal of Developmental and Behavioral Pediatrics. So we hope to finish that in the next few weeks. So why did sertraline work better in Fragile X than in Idiopathic Autism? Well, anxiety is a much more significant problem in individuals with Fragile X syndrome compared to idiopathic autism, even though anxiety can be a problem. But in Fragile X syndrome, it's a major driver of the severity of the ASD um, because anxiety leads to social isolation in individuals with uh, uh, Fragile X syndrome. And the level of the anxiety correlated with the level of the severity of autism in children with Fragile X syndrome. And then this very nice study came out... um Just recently in Journal of Developmental Disorder, where they're looking at either pictures uh, of uh, faces. They're also looking at face processing, where you look on a face. And you remember that those with autism and also with fragile X syndrome don't look at the eyes. They look at the nose and at the mouth. But there are social pictures and then abstract pictures here, and um, compared to typical controls, Uh, Those with autism were less interested in the social pictures. Those with Fragile X were more interested in the social pictures. Um, and in the face processing uh, there were differences um, I can't see this so well but the blue is fragile X and the green is autism uh, and uh, this is the where they look on the face and how much time they spend looking at the face um, but there are significant differences and in fragile X there's a lot less fixation on the eyes uh, supposedly that's overwhelming to the amygdala uh, compared to those with autism. The interesting thing is that in Fragile X, those with more anxiety had less eye contact but they were more interested in the social scenes um, and almost as if they were hypervigilant to the social scenes. So um, that was uh, very interesting that those with Fragile X with more anxiety were even more interested in the social scenes even though they might have had a diagnosis of autism. And that's very different for those with idiopathic autism. So let me get on to metformin. It's a type 2 diabetes medication. It's known to help with overeating and obesity, uh, and it's a, you know mainly used for elevated hemoglobin A1Cs in emerging and uh, present type 2 diabetes. Um, and, but in the Drosophila Fragile X model, they found that in fragilex X syndrome, there was elevated insulin signaling, and that was brought down to normal uh, with metformin. And uh, the PI3K, AKT, and mTOR pathway was all downregulated with metformin, and it improved the circadian rhythm deficits and the memory problems in the Fragile X Drosophila model, and it also uh, rescued uh, the Fragile X phenotype in the Fragile X mouse model, the knockout mouse model. So at this time... Uh, when I was reading these papers in 2017, I thought, well, gosh, I should be using more metformin in individuals with Fragile X syndrome, particularly those that are fat or have the Prader-Willi phenotype and hyperphagia. And, indeed, they all lost weight. They improved their weight. But the parents told me, gosh, we're not so concerned about the weight. We really like the fact that they could talk more, and I could finally carry out a conversation with my son Um, And so I thought, wow, maybe there are cognitive and language benefits. And so I read a lot more about metformin. Um, Basically, when you're on metformin, it upregulates AMPK, uh, and this inhibits this mTOR pathway. But it also has a lot of other effects, not only lowering uh, the excess protein that's produced, but it has... Uh, effects on the autophagy, effects on inflammation, uh, and a lot of positive effects. Um, it has a protection, because it lowers mTOR pathway, it protects you against breast cancer, cervical cancer, uterine cancer, ovarian cancer, and not just female cancers, but many male cancers. So I thought, wow, this is a really great drug. So I decided I was going to go on metformin. (laughs) I want to be protected against these cancers and live longer with better cognitive abilities to spend time playing with my grandchildren. Um, And the main side effect is um, diarrhea. Uh, But I didn't have any diarrhea, and most patients don't have diarrhea, but you uh, increase the dose slowly. Um, and uh, we're doing a controlled trial, ages 6 to 25, that the FDA approved and gave us an IND. It's a randomized, double-blind crossover study, very easy study, only lasting four months. Um, with just a visit at baseline, a visit at two months, and a visit at four months. So if you have any Fragile X patients, send them to us, because this and many other trials we have going. And we're using the best of the outcome measures we know, the NIH toolbox that David Hessel has um, uh, organized to be more valid for those with intellectual disability, uh, behavioral measures, the event-related potentials, eye tracking with the TOBI eye tracker. We have molecular biomarkers, MMP9, and a lot of other downstream proteins on the mTOR pathway. And so I, I think I'm seeing good effects, but I'm blinded. We were funded by the Azraeli Foundation to also do it in two centers in Canada, Sebastian jacquemont Center in Montreal, and uh, Francois Boldecks Center in Edmonton uh, in Canada. So they were just with us uh, uh, this week. So it's just a pleasure to work with the Canadian teams. So then I had a mom of this two-year-old child who's a pediatrician at um, uh, uh, University of Utah. And she's a developmental and behavioral pediatrician. She says, after I presented some of the metformin data at a Fragile X conference, she says, I want my two-year-old son on metformin. And so I said, well, you know, it's not approved for two-year-olds. And she said, I don't care. I want it uh, in my son. And so we talked about using it clinically and talking about a safe dose, maybe just beginning at 50 milligrams once and then twice a day and sneaking up to a couple of hundred milligrams, you know, over the next year or so. And she found some amazing effects, you know, he was stacking three blocks, and then after a couple weeks on metformin, he was stacking 11 blocks, and she put that on her Facebook, and then the next day, I had a slew of emails from other mothers with two-year-old kids, and actually, we've had a a group of, um, uh, uh, actually, this is nine kids here, and we We're seeing some improvements in behavior. We looked at the developmental testing on the Mullen, and compared it to what the developmental uh, results of those with Fragile X syndrome not treated with metformin, and it looked like it boosted development about twice of what you would expect in Fragile X. So we think it has some good effects. It's not a cure-all. I just want to point out that usually there's IQ decline in Fragile X, um, over the years and it's because they don't keep up with abstract reasoning. So even though they don't lose skills, their IQ over time will plateau faster than the general population. Um, we had this kid who had the Prader-Willi phenotype. We put him on metformin. He went back to the normal percentiles um, but he was on metformin two years before he went into puberty, and uh, then I saw him when he was Tanner stage three, and his testicles were normal size. For those of you who know about testicle increase in fragile X, it really increases to two to three times normal. So I thought, well, gosh, at least at the end of my career, I'm curing the macroorchidism in fragile X. It's not a lot to be said for that, but uh, I'd like to cure language. But then we've had a couple of adults here who have really boosted their IQ after a year on metformin. So we don't have all the results of the targeted, uh, the controlled trial on metformin, but we're very hopeful it'll have some uh, significant language benefits uh, and maybe some cognitive benefits. So I just want to talk about some other new treatments for fragile X and autism. The IGF-1 analog, which is trofenatide, um, has been beneficial in fragile X in a previous study that we did, and it looks like it's very beneficial in in Rett syndrome. We may be even starting an IGF-1 analog um, study in Rett syndrome at the MIND Institute in the near future, Um, and... um, there's uh, gaboxidol that I talked about. We're enrolling 13 to 22-year-olds with Fragile X. It's a controlled trial. Cannabidiol, or CBD, different from THC or a tetrahydrocannabidiol, will likely be helpful from anecdotal information that I have from many families with autism and Fragile X syndrome for the anxiety and the tantrums and uh, aggression that can occur, and they get it from the uh, marijuana stores. But um, Zandurba synthesizes... the uh, CBD, Uh, so it's pure, it doesn't have any THC in it, and uh, the blood is negative uh, for THC, so the FDA really likes this, Um, and it's an ointment that you rub on the shoulders uh, and use it twice a day. Um, So we're in the midst of that controlled trial now, uh, and they'll be enrolling this spring, and hopefully, we'll have the results in the very near future. Um, we hope by next year. Um, they have done studies in Australia, and I'll show you that data. These are open label studies in Australia. Um, let me just um, wait a second. I don't need to talk about epidialects, but here's the Zenerba. CBD studies in Australia where each of these behavioral problems from behavioral checklists had significant benefit. But of course, an open label study is very different from a controlled trial. So um, I'm not sure um, what we'll be seeing with the controlled trial, but I think it'll have benefit. Um, I just want to mention about bumetanide. Um, that's been going on in a, in a study in Europe for autism. Bimetanide is a very old diuretic, and it is impacting um, the GABA system early on. It's a diuretic that can even be given to one- and two-year-olds. Um, and I haven't had much experience. I've used it clinically. We don't have a controlled trial going now, um, but I think um, the people from France who started Le Monnier and Benary and others who started the Bumetanide trial for autism in Europe, want to get more studies going. They have a special uh, liquid preparation of bumetanide, but it does come in one and two milligram tablets. And I use it on a five-year-old, uh, very severely autistic kid from actually Korea who was visiting me, and we're just desperate. And uh, I got an email a month later. This is an amazing drug and my kid is talking, you know, so maybe we should use it more. So think about Bumetanide. You have to look for calcium, uh, uh, I'm sorry, potassium, uh, deficiency that sometimes can happen with using a diuretic. So sometimes you have to supplement the potassium levels, but, um, anecdotally, uh, it seems to be quite good, and there's controlled data from the European studies that have been published, at least two papers on this. So it's definitely something we need to look at. Um, Epidiolex, I'm not going to get into. You can get CBD gummies that are 25 milligrams per gummy on the Internet. Um, And um, when you go to the marijuana stores, though, they have all kinds of different... uh, solutions of CBD to THC, 20 to one. And it's really hard to sort out how many milligrams are in some of the, uh, uh, arsenial preparations, but I think many of these pure CBD preparations are coming out. And I'm not so sure you need to include THC. That seems to be the anecdotal information around that CBD won't work unless you have THC. But the data from Zenerba on the open label in Australia shows that that's not necessarily the case so I'd be happy to talk to anybody and oxytocin nasal spray twice a day and ASD those with the lowest uh, pre-treatment oxytocin levels benefited the most on the social reciprocity scale in autism uh, so I think there will be more use of the oxytocin nasal spray um, but I'm not sure you can get it by prescription yet and I haven't used it so I also like yoga and mindfulness meditation. That really improves your GABA inhibition. Uh, this is a high-functioning Fragile X guy who does yoga every day, and he says that his life centers around it. And then also when we talk about targeted treatments, it's really important to think about educational programs. Uh, David Hessel has some data on a Cogmed intervention, for individuals with Fragile X, Head Sprout programs for reading, uh, AT devices, particularly for those that are nonverbal, iPad applications. And this Pele intervention or parent-implemented language intervention or even Sally Rogers' Early Start Denver model, of course, is great. And there's a paper out a couple of months ago showing it's great in individuals with Fragile X syndrome too, not just in individuals with autism. Um, so many great educational and behavioral problems so my time is up and i gotta stop but i want to thank many of the people that we collaborate with not only at the mind institute but we have a lot of international collaborations in indonesia uh, philippines where i'm going tonight um, uh, in australia canada and we do just a lot of international work and thank you very much